I want to thank the praise team for uh, leading us this morning. I was driving back from Wisconsin uh, on Tuesday. I had a meeting over there, and as I was driving along, I, you know, those of you who know me, I, I rarely listen to uh, the radio. Uh, I love the silence as I'm driving along, and uh, but I was kind of coming along, and, and I had just crossed from Wisconsin into the Iron River area. I was listening to the radio. I just turned it on and Christian channel. And uh, the announcer came on and he says, now we're going to have a song by Amy Shreve. I know her. <laughs> and, and went on to explain that it was a song that she and Gary had written for the persecuted church. And uh, it was just great to, to hear it. And as I, as I went along, and I knew that I had heard that Amy was going to be singing here this morning with us, and so I was just praying uh, about this service and thinking about what was going to be going on here today and appreciating all of those who do so much here to uh, help us to get together and worship God and celebrate Him. I have to tell you that as I stood earlier as one of the veterans I'm always humbled when I do that because I think of men who, men, women who lost their lives for us. And I, I think of, uh, I watch the Wounded Warriors and ads on TV and things like that, and I think about how many have given up so much to give us our freedom. And I don't know about you, but I find it very humbling. And so to be able to stand amongst the veterans is an honor, but it's also something that makes you feel very humble. In contrast to that, let me just share that as I was preparing for this morning, Pastor Brian had asked if I would share the word this morning. Uh, He has a wedding this weekend and uh, a lot of preparation for that. And so he'd asked if I would share the message. And and I said I would. That was before I got this head and throat thing that seems to be going around. <clears throat> but as I was doing that and as I was preparing and thinking about things, even as I came across uh, from Wisconsin, I, I was at a meeting for our district uh, board of overseers. And uh, we ended that meeting by going through a list of churches that are struggling and pastors that are struggling uh, in our district, and to be honest with you, as I was listening to some of the things, and I'm on the overseer so I, and the executive committee, and so I get these emails, and I'm very much aware of all of this, but as I was driving along, I was overwhelmed with the struggles and the hassles and the problems that are going on in the Christian church today. And, uh, and as I was thinking about that and thinking about the verses that I'm going to share with you in a little while, I think that one of the problems that comes up all too often is the word I. I think that we as Americans are so preoccupied with the I, the me, that we lose sight of the him. And we lose sight of the the, the reality that as a church we are here to worship and celebrate and honor God. And that everything that we say and do should be glorifying him 
and it shouldn't be about me. And I'm not going to put up any selfies this time like I did the last time I preached. So you don't have to worry about one of those. But, but, but have you ever noticed that when you're having a conversation with somebody, you might be talking about the, this couple has children and they'll say, my child, or my car, or my house, or my this, or my that. In churches, it's my ministry. Corey was sharing about being up in the, in the front and, and the, being overwhelmed a little bit with the responsibility of putting this together. And I was glad that you said that you gave it over to God because that's what we need to do as a church is give our ministry over to God. It is not about me. It is not about I. It is about Him. And we have to make sure we focus on that. One of the men in Scripture that we all, I'm sure, look up to and respect and honor. I had uh, been part of a, uh, have been part of this Bible study that has met for years and years. And I still remember one time having a conversation with one of the men who was there. And uh, we were talking about the Apostle Paul. And, and he made the comment, he says, you know, the Apostle Paul is probably the closest thing that we will ever see in a man to being perfect in his spiritual walk. But when I read Scripture, Paul looked at himself and he calls himself the chief of sinners. Paul recognized how short he fell in comparison to the awesome God that he was serving and that he was representing as he shared with other churches. And that's the way I feel so often is that I fall so short. And that's why it's so important to take my eyes off of me and put it upon God. So I want to look at Paul this morning. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul. And we're going to look at Paul, and these verses are both from after he had become a Christian. But one talks about what he was like before, and then the other, what he is like now. And I want us to see that contrast as we look at these things. So Paul is walking on a road, a road of life. And you and I are walking on a road of life as well. And we are going, we have, have had an opportunity to walk up to this point that Paul is talking about. So we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to look first of all at verses 1 to 6. And if you're don't have your own Bible and you're using one of those that are in the seat ahead of you. It's on page 1828. And Paul in these verses is sharing who he was before Christ. Okay, so you have to, you have to understand where he is coming from as he's explaining or, or giving this instruction. And I'm actually going to begin at verse, uh, the second half of verse 4. He's been talking about uh, some legalistic things ahead of that. Verse 4, the second part, says this, If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. You see, Paul here is laying out for us a series 
of what I would call I statements. Now, I'm the one who put the I in front of these statements, but if you notice, he says in the in verse 4 there, he says, I have more. He's talking about all of these things are me. All of these descriptions are of himself, of who he was. And so I'm putting the eyes in there just for a point of emphasis. So let's take a look at some of those. So the first one that we see here is Paul says, I have reason to put confidence in the flesh. Do you, any of you, put confidence in the flesh? Are you self-reliant? Do you feel like I can come and do and serve and be all that God wants me to be because I am so capable, I am so able to do those things? And I think if you've ever done anything for the Lord, you come up short on that one. Most of us do. We come to that point where we recognize that. And we have to. That in myself, I cannot achieve anything of any eternal consequence if I'm just doing it on my own ability, my own And that's what Paul is talking about here. Paul says, I was uh, circumcised on the uh, eighth day. This just means that he came from a religious family, a a family that followed the traditions. One of the problems that you can have is growing up in a Christian home and thinking, well, because my parents were Christians and I've heard the gospel all of my life, therefore I am a Christian, therefore I'm going to go to heaven. But that's not what the Scriptures tell us. The Scriptures say that you must personally make a decision. That's why I'm so grateful for CEF, where where young boys and girls are given an opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ, that that pulling them into the kingdom, the helping pull them into the kingdom, that they may hear the Word of God. Because it's not enough to just grow up in a family that's religious. We have to make that personal choice to follow Jesus Christ. Paul also has the pedigree. He has the heritage. He says, I'm an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's got the right heritage. He came through the right line. And and for the Israelites, that was an important factor, that who they had been descendants of. As you go into Scripture, you see over and over again these descendants uh, things that are that are laid out in there for us. He says, I am a Pharisee. That just means that he's an expert in the laws of God. The problem with being an expert in the laws of God is that sometimes we try to live only by the expertise on the law and we don't understand the heart of the law. We don't understand what it is that God wanted us to do as He gave us the law, which was to bring us to Him to bring us to that point where we recognize that we need a relationship with Him. That's the purpose of it. But we lose sight of that all too often. He says, I'm zealous. In fact, he was so zealous that he was out persecuting the church. He was persecuting Christians. He he was being recognized all over for being somebody who was so zealous that he was out there to destroy the Christian church. And again, as you folks were sharing about what's happening in Africa, there are people in the world who are trying to destroy the Christian church today. But you don't have to be just in Africa to see that. You can be here in the United States because there are people today in this country who are bound and determined to destroy Christianity. Christianity. 
They want to destroy the church because they are in and of the world. And we have to stand as the church united, pressing forward and praising God. The world desperately needs the church to function as the Christian church. Lastly, he says, legalistically, I'm righteous. Saying I'm faultless. (laughs) How many here can raise your hand and say, I'm faultless before God? That's what Paul is saying. In his pre-knowledge, his uh, pre-relationship with Jesus Christ, that's how he viewed himself. And I wonder sometimes as we go through our lives as Christians, do we sometimes, even though Paul is saying, this is who I was and I'm something different now, do we sometimes go back to this and we say, well, if we, if we follow the rules, if we do the stuff, if, we, if we're going to the right places and we're saying the right things and we're singing the right songs and we're wearing the right clothes and we're doing all of the other stuff, that I'm righteous before God. But Paul is saying, no, that's not the way it works. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. That's not the way it works. Essentially, Paul is saying, as he's going along the path, he's saying, I have it all together. I'm, I'm, I'm where I need to be. I'm better than a whole bunch of other people. That's what he's saying how he viewed himself before coming to know Jesus Christ. He lived to impress others. He saw himself as perfect. He's a Pharisee. You remember what Jesus said about Pharisees, right? Jesus took on the Pharisees. It was was always... Whenever I come to that, that section... Uh, I remember a little video in, in Scripture. I, I remember a little video that Pastor Dave, when he was here, he shared with me one day. We were in, in and he was kind of reviewing this. And whoever the actor was in this video would, would stand up and, Woe to you Pharisees! And he, it was just like, whoa, <laughs> it really caught your attention. And that's what I believe Jesus was doing. He was in their face. Jesus was concerned about the attitude of the Pharisees. In fact, in Matthew 23, he says this, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So, because they sit in the seat, you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see, and that's what we see in Paul's description of himself pre-Christ. They, wear, uh, they make their phylacteries, and those are the boxes that they carried with the Scripture in them, wide and tassels on their garments long so that people can see that I'm all that. They love the place of honor at a banquet and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and be called rabbi 
by others. Can you get the picture that Jesus is saying, you know what, these guys are full of themselves. They're not full of me. They're not full of a relationship with God. They're full of themselves. So when Paul is describing himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees, he in fact is saying to you and to me that I am full of myself. I've got it all together. And I wonder sometimes as Christians, do we get to that point where we start to think of ourselves, you know what, I'm pretty cool. I come to church every week. I come for two services. I come to ABF. I go to small group Bible study. I sometimes go to another church and listen to their pastor. I go to other places. I do other stuff. I'm, I'm all full of myself. And I wonder. You know, we would never verbalize that, would we? But I wonder sometimes in our hearts and minds, do we actually start to think some of those things? Or do you see yourself as somebody who desperately needs to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Pete Tremel had given me a book called The Cure. I'm not going to read all of the verses that I had thought about or sections that I thought about sharing with you, but it's written from the perspective of a person who um, is examining his own life and he's walking along this road and he comes to a spot where there's two choices. One is a road of pleasing God and the other one is a a road of... uh, being right with God. And he's talking about going along this road and he hits this one place and he walks in the door and above the door it says, striving hard to be all God wants me to be. You see the word there, striving hard, that means I'm doing it myself. Striving hard to be all God wants me to be. And he goes into this room and his room is full of people. And these are all uh, people who are... uh, Christians, and they're all together. And uh, he walks in, he says, hey, how's everyone doing? And everybody, oh, we're fine, everything is great, and they're all wearing masks. And they put on this mask and this image of everything is great in my life, and everything is great in this place, and nobody is in here that has any problems or any issues. And this man says, I walk in there, and I've got these problems, and I try to bring them up, and he's shut down, he's told not to talk about them anymore. He's in a room that's called the room of good intentions. His intentions, your intentions have to be good. The intentions have to be right. In a, there's a banner in the room that says, Working on my sin to achieve an intimate relationship with God. You see the image there is I'm doing it. I'm doing it. It's all about me. It's all about me. And then he moves through this book and he gets to this point. For instance, when we embrace the path to this room, we reduce godliness to a formula. Whenever we can reduce God to a formula, be careful. Okay? More righteous behavior plus less wrong behavior equals godliness. That's not a good formula. That's not where God wants us to be. I can never do enough. 
I can never be good enough. I can never be perfect enough. I can never achieve enough to get myself into God's heaven. It's all done by Jesus Christ. And when I strive to do things for God's approval of me, I'm going to come up short. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be doing ministry. Quite the contrary. I believe after we've come to know Jesus Christ, we want to help others to come to that point where they know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior as well. That's that tug of war. That's that pulling them. We want others to experience this godliness, this relationship with God that only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, this man leaves that room and he goes in to another place. He goes on the path of trusting God. And then he reaches a room that's described as living out of who God says I am. And the first heading underneath that is humility. We have to become humble. I shared with you the conflicts within the churches. I can point to every one of those churches, every one of those conflicts, and I can point to people who are not humble. They are unwilling to listen to advice or unwillingness, unwilling to communicate with somebody to make a relationship correct. They lack the humility that they desperately need to have. This man walks into the room of grace. And in the room of grace, contrary to the room he had been in before, he's able to share what's on his heart. That's what the church should be. That when we come together, we're not wearing masks. We're not at a point where we're, we're, we're hiding behind something, but rather we're open and we're honest. Last week, if you were here, Pastor Brian preached a message that I, I've heard from several people just really struck them. It was an in-your-face message. And that's okay in the church that we recognize that sin is not acceptable and that we need to have a right relationship with Christ. But if I sin, that doesn't mean I'm defeated and I can never continue in my relationship with Jesus Christ. God loves us. And even while we're yet sinners, Christ died upon that cross for us. And we're all sinners who fall short of the glory of God, but God never gives up on us. I've shared before that my image of God before I started reading through the Bible in a year and I got a different perspective. My vision of God was God was waiting for us to mess up and then He would zap us. It's a kind of a crazy view, isn't it? But I had that view. And you know what? I've heard others share with me they had the same view. That that's how I saw God because as I read snippets in the Old Testament, it seemed like God was always retaliating on somebody or something. But then as I read through the Bible and I see over and over and over again where the, the Israelites in the Old Testament would mess up, I said, come back to me. Come back to me. I want to have a relationship with you. Come back. I don't want you chasing over in that direction. Come back to me. God desperately wants us to come even while we were our sinners. In the interest of time, I'm going to skip over a couple of things here. and I just want to, to move on to what happened with Paul. Paul came to a point where he was at an intersection in his life. 
He's walking along this road, and Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, the risen Christ, he'd already been crucified, he'd been buried, he's alive, and he meets Paul on the road. What an awesome experience. But you know what? Paul still had a choice at that point to stand on what he described in Philippians or to worship the one who he had been trying to destroy. Can you imagine the dilemma that you would be faced with if your whole life was built around this legalistic view of God and how I am to act and how I am to perform for Him? And so Paul is faced with that as he comes along this intersection. And he comes up and he has to decide, I'm going to trust Christ and I'm going to go with Him, or I'm going to reject Christ and I'm going to continue on with my pharisaical perfection. Thank God Paul changes his direction. So if you would turn with me, let's look at what he really says is important in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because of time, we're going to kind of go through this fairly quickly. It's on page 1789 if you're using the the Bible from your chair. But notice the change in his message here. Really a, 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 a huge difference. Now Paul, again, uses the term I, but look at what he emphasizes even with his I. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, beginning in verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. We are to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our only hope of salvation. And here's what he says in verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is the most important thing I can tell you in all of my writings and everything that I say and do. This is the most important. First importance. This is what he says the gospel is. First, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Christ died on that cross. Bearing your sins in mind, He died to take away our sins. That He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So let's just look at some of these real quickly. So, he's saying, I preached the gospel. They had heard it and received it. He was doing his faithful part, which is, he had changed from the legalistic to sharing the gospel, Jesus Christ. They received that gospel, and as a result, they were saved. By this gospel, this gospel, not anything that I've taught, thought about myself or anything else beforehand, this gospel, you are saved. And the gospel, this gospel, is of first importance. It's not a gospel of works. It's a gospel of salvation for the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. You and I can never do enough to get ourselves into heaven. It is this gospel, 
Jesus Christ was crucified. He died. He was buried. He rose from the grave after three days on the third day, and then he was seen by all of these people. And then later he ascended into heaven, where he still sits at the right hand of God the Father. He has made a way for you and I to go to heaven. And it takes us to trust in him. Here's the gospel. Here's the gospel. If you were to be asked to share what is the gospel, here it is. You just heard me say it, but I'm just going to reemphasize it again. Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. That's your sins and mine. But he died 2,000 years ago. Yes, he died 2,000 years ago when he was hanging on that cross. He took upon himself your sins and mine that we commit yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He took our sins. He bore our sins. As he was hanging on that cross and, and, and he's been abused and beaten and, 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 and treated like dirt. As he's hanging on that cross and bleeding, he says, Father, forgive them. He is talking about you and me as he says, Father, forgive them. He's not just talking about those people in front of him. He's talking about those people who have sinned so that those sins are being put upon his shoulders on the cross. There we go. He was buried and was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. He appeared to Peter. You know, when you think about this list, by the way, he appears to Peter, he appears to to the apostles, 500 people at a time, all the apostles, uh, James, all of these people. Why do you think that when Paul is writing this, he gives this list of people? I think he gives a list of people so that you have a doubt about it, those people who were still alive at that time, go and ask them. <laughs> go and ask them. Did he hang on the cross? Did he die? Was he buried? Was he raised from the dead? Did, did you see him walking around and communicating? Did he show you the hole, holes in his hands and his side? Did you touch him? Did you understand what he was saying? Did you eat with him? that's the gospel. So you see the contrast as Paul went through his life. And he, he came to that point. Came to that intersection in the road and he said, I'm legalistically righteous. In the eyes of people, I can't be any better than I am. I'm an amazing person. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. People look at me and they respect me and honor me. And then he came to that intersection and he, he meets Jesus Christ. And he realizes none of that's important. What's important is what Christ did for me on that cross. Because what Christ did for me on that cross allows me to spend eternity with God in heaven. And that is the only way I get to spend eternity with God in heaven. Jesus Christ is the only righteous one. He has made that provision for me. And I must trust in Him. I must believe in this risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And then in Philippians, if we went back to those verses 
and we see that Jesus, if I get to the right page, as our Paul is describing, he says, but whatever was of profit to me before, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. You and I have one hope, one promise. That's the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. You and I fall way short. If Paul was a righteous man in his own eyes, Jesus Christ died for him as well. And Paul said, I would give all of that up. What will you give up today? What are you willing to say, I'm holding on to this thing. It's enough for me to get myself into heaven. Is there something? Have you ever trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Has there there been a day when you realize that, you know what, I'm living on my heritage. I'm living on the things that I've had since I was born. I'm living on things. I'm trusting in things, but I'm not, I have not given my life to Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. As I conclude, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And If you've never made that decision, now would be the day to do that. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Soldiers are out there in the field serving our country. And when they woke this morning, or wherever they are this afternoon, they don't know if that's the last time they will be here on this earth. You and I, when we leave this place and we get into our vehicles, we don't know if this is the last day that we will be here. Have you trusted Christ? Or are you relying on something else as Paul did before he met Christ? Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, I'm so grateful that I don't have to earn my way into heaven. I recognize day after day after day what a sinful man I really am. How short I fall from your amazing glory. So I'm grateful that Jesus Christ has made a way for us to spend eternity with you. I I thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came, that he died upon a cross, that he was buried on the third day, he was raised back to life, that he was seen by hundreds of people over a period of 40 days, and then he ascended into heaven, where he sits at the right hand of God the Father. I thank you, Lord, for that provision, that you are waiting and welcoming us as we leave this earth and come to you if we have trusted you as our Savior and our Lord. Father, forgive us our sins. And so if you've never prayed that prayer, would you pray with me? Father, I recognize that I am a sinner who desperately need a Savior. I ask that you would come into my heart and my life, that you would cleanse me of my sin, that you would change my spirit and my attitude from self-reliance 
to trust and belief in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe that you are the only way for me to get to God's heaven. And I trust today in your provision for me to spend eternity with you if I will only believe. Help me in my unbelief that I may trust and believe in you. I pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.